Let's talk about opportunities when it comes to discipleship as being a barrier. Mm-hmm. Meaning, meaning, I don't know if I know someone who I could disciple, or I don't know if anyone's asking me to disciple them. That is a barrier. It's a legitimate barrier. Um, have you experienced that thought process in your own mind in terms of who who should I disciple? What would that look like? Have you guys ever experienced that or felt that? I I think I have because people at least in my generation, don't really understand what discipleship means because the word just seems archaic to them. Okay. And even the just the thought of someone mentoring you outside of maybe like a teacher in a classroom just seems very alien to them. It's because people are scared of the unknown. Hmm. So when I say, okay, so here's this new thing. It might be a little bit difficult. Do you want to get together with me every week? The answer oftentimes can be not. Okay, I try not to find opportunities to do it because that keeps me safe. Keeps me safe of people that will say no, uh, of exposure, of what I believe in my relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. Um, it, it, it helps me be safe, not to have the opportunity. So I don't look for them. right? I don't try to find people out there that would like to be disciple. I just block them out and then that makes me feel good right because I don't have no problems it's a risk right and we try to minif- minimize as much as possible the risk so when I think about opportunities I think about how not to have opportunities and that should not be that's not what I was put here for right and, and I and I do that intentionally if we talk about having an intention not to find a way to do it I'm an expert on it that is so honest, mm-hmm. and I think that's so true of all of us, because I think what you're expressing at is a fear of rejection or a fear yeah. of failure, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Good morning, family. Okay, good. I needed my lights. I can't see. I've got my readers here, just in case. Thank you. My name is Joe. And I am a member here at Kettlebrook along with my wife and five kids. I am also one of the members here that's continually learning what it means to be a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. And this year to do that, our focus has been on discipleship. Our theme this year is Everyone Discipling One in 2021. Today we are on our fifth week in a series called Breaking the Discipleship Barrier. We've wrestled through several barriers already. We've wrestled through the barrier of our insecurities, our fears, the lack of presence or conviction of the Holy Spirit. We've also wrestled through our barrier of time. And today we're going to wrestle through our barrier of relationships. See, we're all all in them. I mean, we can't really avoid them unless you're a hermit or something. And now in the days of Zoom, you can't even really use that as an excuse. But see, God has created us for relationships. There is a reason that God made man and said, it is not good. He just hadn't finished yet. It's not like he took one look at man, turned to Jesus and said, oh, well, we messed that one up. Let's try it again. And poof, woman. Now, ladies, I know what you're thinking, but no. We were created to be in relationships with each other, specifically ones that would point us to Christ and to our God. In the video Ed shared, as you guys were coming in, he admitted that he had been intentionally not trying to find opportunities to be in relationship and to disciple others. For fear of hearing no, for fear of exposing his beliefs and his relationship with Jesus, he was trying to minimize the cost to himself at all cost. And family, if we are not in, engaged in our relationships then discipleship can simply not happen. And so today we're going to look at three things to help us engage further in our relationships. First, we're going to look at the opportunities created by God to be in relationship. Secondly, our intentionality within those relationships. And finally, we're going to look at the urgency of pointing others to Christ. We're going to be spending some time in the Gospel of John You can follow along in your Bibles on page 753. 
Now we begin this passage as Jesus is wrapping up a conversation with the woman at the well. And this is really, it's a a conversational battle. And Jesus, he first asks her for a drink of water. And she challenges him. She says, she, she just doesn't understand why this Jewish man would be even talking to a Samaritan woman. And then Jesus offers her a water of eternal life. And yet she pushes back again. She says, sir, give me this water so that I don't have to keep coming back here again and again. And Jesus says, well, why don't you go get your husband? Maybe he can help. And this is where the conversation deepens. She admits she has no husband. And this is where Jesus gently exposes her life of sin. This woman sees his prophetic power. And yet she challenges him again. But this time, she brings up the division between the Jews and the Samaritans, and the division even in their places of worship. And that's when Jesus says that the time has come where the two kingdoms will be united again under God through one Messiah, worshiping together in spirit and in truth. And yet this woman, persistent as she is, she offers yet one more challenge. Kind of an avoidance of sort. She says, well, look, I know the Messiah is coming, and when he does come, he'll just, I'll let him explain everything. And this is the only time in the Gospel of John, before Jesus goes on trial, where he proclaims to be the Christ. And he does it to a Samaritan woman. This is where we begin reading in verse 27. Now the disciples have been sent away to go get some food during this conversation. And it says, just then the disciples returned. And they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But nobody asked, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? Then leaving her jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. And his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him some food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say, do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work, but you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So we're going to unpack this. Let's start with the first four verses. We are barely into the Gospel of John, and Jesus is already raising eyebrows by talking to this woman. Look, first of all, again, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. They were historical enemies under a divided kingdom. And secondly, men didn't talk to women. I found this to be kind of humorous. Gill, in his commentary, he quotes from the Mishnah, the Jewish rabbinic traditions. He says, Do not multiply with a woman, multiply discourse with a woman, With his wife, they say, much less with his neighbor's wife. Hence the wise men say, At whatsoever time a man multiplies discourse with a woman, he is the cause of evil to himself. He ceases from the words of the law, and at last shall go down into hell. What are you supposed to do if your wife is a talker? You don't stand a chance, right? So in verse 27... The disciples don't even acknowledge this woman. And in verse 28, here she is. She runs off, she runs back to the town, and she tells everyone to come with her to see Jesus. Come, see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Jesus created an opportunity to be in a relationship that nobody else saw. 
but he did. Because he saw this woman, and he knew that she would help unite a divided kingdom. Because like God's kingdom, this woman had been living in broken relationship after broken relationship. See, a while back, God was so angry with King Solomon that he said that he was going to completely divide the kingdom under his son's reign. And he did. The kingdom divided. Their places of worship split. The kingdom of Israel in the north worshipped on Mount Zion. And the kingdom of Judah and the Samaritans worshipped in the south on Mount Gerizim. Where it is our setting for this story. But what Jesus created in that moment was a relationship that would unite those kingdoms. And he did this throughout his entire ministry. He was always creating opportunities, associating himself with sinners, with outcasts, with people that nobody paid attention to. Twelve times in the Gospels, there's a word used to describe how Jesus felt toward people. And it's, it's, transcribed, it's, it's, it's translated in the English language as compassion or pity. One of the times it's used is in Matthew chapter 9. And in 8 and 9, Jesus performs this series of 12 miracles. And then Matthew records, Jesus went throughout the towns, villages, teaching, preaching, healing. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus had compassion on them. Now reading that, and you would define compassion as a noun, a feeling. But in the Greek, this word is not translated as a noun. It's a verb. And it means to literally be moved to one's core with compassion or pity. Jesus didn't just have a feeling for these people. He literally had a movement toward them. And it was that movement that created the opportunity to unite a kingdom. What is our movement toward others? What opportunity has God given you in your relationships? Ryan's going to share in our next video that he and Libby are continually praying for God to provide these opportunities. He said, they are on your mind because they are in your prayers. This mentality, this heart set, that's what opens our minds and our hearts to the possibility, to the opportunities that God creates. Because without it, you're likely never to see those opportunities. Just like the disciples never even noticed the woman at the well. And then he shared with me an opportunity that he had been praying about for quite some time. And what started out as a casual conversation and some friendly interaction became more of an extended conversation. It was another opportunity to, to, to show that Ryan was invested, that he does care. And even though Jesus hasn't come up yet in that relationship and in those conversations, Jesus is always on display. My wife and I, we've been fostering for almost seven years. But beyond the children that come into our home, my wife has never missed the opportunity to foster the relationship with the parents as well. For one mom, she even visited her in jail for several months. Just talking with her, sharing conversation, encouraging her, updating on how her daughter was doing. And because she saw the opportunity God provided, those girls are still in our life today. And now, even now, as we, as we consider what this journey is going to look like for us, as we move forward, God created a whole other opportunity. We've both been asked to mentor a young man and a young woman whose grandparents and whose parents were just, they were just looking for some more influences in their life. God provides the opportunities. So what opportunity is he going to provide for you? We have a, a kind of a very simple exercise to just start helping you recognize this. And the first one is names. 
It's the names of everyone in your life from work and school, neighborhoods, family, friends, church. It, I, this could be a large list. But secondly is our networking groups. Groups that we're associated with because of a hobby, a sports team, a club, a social group, maybe a gym that you work out at, or maybe even an online group that you're a part of. But then third, to define the needs that resonate with your heart and create a movement. Something that you are compassionate for. For my wife and I, it's been fostering. For others, maybe it's big brothers, big sisters. Here at Kettlebrook, we are actively pursuing Afghan refugees coming to West Bend as we speak. We work with Family Promise, the homeless in our community. We work with at-risk moms, moms-to-be. Who's God going to put on your heart? And when you pray for those opportunities, he will create them. Because he's a God who promises that he will. Let's break down the next few verses. As we're in these relationships and these opportunities, now we look at the intentionality that we have within them. It says, meanwhile, back at the well, the disciples urge him, Rabbi, eat something. So while this woman has run off to tell everyone in her town about what Jesus did, the disciples want him to have some food. And he says, look, I, I, have, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And in that moment of such a profound statement, they just look at each other like, I, did you bring him some food? Nobody knows what's going on. They don't understand it. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. He tells them he has something they know nothing about. And they completely miss it. Like, Mason Crosby last week. Their first thought was that they just wanted him to have some food. But Jesus continues to press. He continues to disciple. He continues to show them that his intention is to do the will of God. His intention is a movement. In these couple of verses, Jesus puts himself completely aside. They wanted him to eat. He wanted to do. His entire focus was on the will of God to unite a kingdom. And he acted with the will of God that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I have a, a simple example of what intentionality could look like in our relationships. And even just in our conversations. Right? So a couple of months ago I invited Troy and his family to go sailing on Lake Michigan on my dad's boat. And after a couple of scheduling adjustments, it turned out to be a daddy-daughter date. Troy and his daughters, myself, my daughter, and even one of our crew members, Tyann. Absolutely beautiful weather. Forget the last 10 minutes. Absolutely beautiful weather. Couldn't have asked for it to be better. But after getting the boat anchored down, we headed over to DeMarini's for some world-famous pizza. Now, raise your hand if you've ever been troy See, you know what I'm talking about. I knew it. You knew what I'm talking about. I was wondering if anyone... No, you know. See, it's when you start talking to Troy or Ryan, and in this case, Troy, and like 30 minutes in, you realize that you've just spilled your entire story, your entire life story, all your dreams, worries, ambitions, your goals, your aspirations, and he hasn't said anything. Like nothing. It's amazing. Little might you know, he's actually writing the book on this called Gospel Listening. So... I know this about him. I prepared. I had every intention of making sure that our conversation was two-directional. So I, like a good young apprentice in gospel listening, knew that I could effectively interlace my own questions into the conversation to make sure that the conversation flowed multi-directional. So we sat down. We ordered our pizza and our appetizers and some drinks. And sure enough, 30 minutes in, and it happened again. I'd been troyed. But see, it wasn't my fault. Because it came out of nowhere, because it wasn't Troy. It was his daughters. <laughs> and they're twins. 
These two unsuspecting girls just start hitting you with questions from both directions that you answer while shoving your face with mozzarella sticks and garlic bread. I had been Chloe'd and Tiana'd. Why? Because the Spirit moves them to be intentional. To intentionally, deliberately, diligently, and in their case, dually, get to know someone. To get to know their story. Who they are behind the facade we put on Facebook or Sunday morning. And when God provides the opportunity to do the will of God and to point them to Jesus. A couple Saturday nights ago, I, I had to pick up my son from camp. And on the car ride home, he's telling me this story that happened earlier that night. This young man in our Monday night freshman torch group, the young man I just recently started mentoring, he's, he's had a, a rough go. I'm just going to leave it at that. But the strides and the improvements that he's making is amazing. And Saturday night, a group of the youth were just sitting around and talking, just sharing some personal time while they had some time available. And when it came time for dinner, this young man decided to stay behind for a bit. Something was up. Earlier that day, he had kind of snapped at one of the kids and immediately apologized. But my son, who's kind of gotten to know him, decided he's going to stay behind just to make sure he was okay. <laughs> and within a couple of minutes, all the other youth were back to share, to talk, and to show their support. And the coolest part was, none of the leaders were there. Just a small group of youth, loving on each other. They saw the opportunity that God had created, and they intentionally put aside their need to eat in order to do the will of God. Family, our youth is getting this. Jesus is creating opportunities. And in those opportunities, he is intentional. But within that intentionality, Jesus also creates an urgency. Right out of college, I took an internship with Northwestern Mutual Life, selling life insurance. Didn't last long. You can't get very much more intrinsic than life insurance. You can't touch it, feel it, smell it, taste it, hear it. But the only thing you do is shell some money at it in hopes that you never need it. Because if you do, well, you know. So, I learned a lesson very early on that I've used to this day. And it's the idea of creating urgency. So what does this look like? If you're selling insurance, it's the urgency of the fear of the unknown, right? Protecting your family's financial future if, in the event, God forbid, something were to happen. How about, an, you know, I, I personally, I work on dryer vents. Yeah. Oh, it's about as glamorous as it sounds. I've been sucking lint out for 12 years. Yeah. There have been times when I tell my customers that the only way that I will even consider servicing you is if I completely replace your system. Because what you have now is likely to burn your house down. And that's urgent. And I have actually seen it happen. So there you go. Here's my, here's my cheap plug. How about in advertising, right? How about the urgency of time? Two days only, sale ends Monday. I can only offer you this incredible price and these huge discounts today during this visit. Ever sit through a timeshare presentation? How about the urgency of supply and demand? While supplies last, the first 10 callers only, or Disney, I love this. We are opening our vault to the exclusive original presentation and then we're sealing it back in the vault. Because Disney has a vault in which it keeps its princesses in. That sounds promising. So in our text for today, Jesus has just told the disciples that they are missing out on something so much greater. And then he immediately speaks to the urgency that is before them. He says, don't you say four months more and then the harvest? See, they get that. They know that if you plant a seed, it's going to take about four more months, and then they'll be ripe for the harvest. So they get that. 
But Jesus knows that this woman has just run off to tell everybody. And who knows? They may already even be back on their way. And as Jesus continues, possibly pointing in the direction of the droves that are already on their way back, he says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. Look, even these Samaritans that you loathe. Look, the woman that you guys completely ignored. They are ripe for the harvest. They're so ripe to know their Savior that they're already on their way back because the woman that you completely ignored told her whole town about our conversation. And it wasn't an easy conversation. And he goes on to say, even now the reaper draws his wage. Even now he harvests the crops for eternal life. I sent you to reap a harvest that you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. And you have reaped the benefits of their labor. What, so what is he, in this last section, what is he saying here? You may not have any idea what you're doing in a relationship. That's okay. But what we do know is that the time is right now. You may have a relationship that's being tilled. No talk yet about Jesus, kind of like what Ryan shared. But underneath, he is prepping the soil for someone else to plant the seed. You may be the one who plants the seed. Who shares Jesus Christ to someone who does not know him yet. You may be the one to water a seed already planted. Because maybe you have something in common. Maybe a common loss. Or a common pain. Or... You may be the one to prune, to make sure that that plant grows to its fullest potential. And I've experienced this. See, a few weeks ago, I was preparing for a message at Torch. It's our high school group. And I'm going through the chapter for this week, and I was, I was getting really frustrated. And I was feeling a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, and a lot of failure that I was failing at God's mission. And I, I didn't like the way that it made me feel. And so I took this chapter and I shoved it into a box. But see, then I jumped into the box and I started fighting with it. And I wanted to expose it. I didn't want anyone else to feel the way that I felt. Here's the problem. When it came time to give the message, I didn't leave the box. I kind of yelled from the box. From my shame and from my guilt. And because of that, the compassion of God's people toward his nations was overlooked. For my desire to prove somebody wrong. And in that moment, I needed a heart check. So the very next day, I sat down with David and Troy. They never made me feel guilty, never shamed. In fact, the first thing they did was they wanted to know where I was coming from. To know my heart in all of this. And then they discipled. They didn't let those feelings fester. They took the time right away, right there, to sharpen, to refine To help me see the bigger picture. See, I've been compared to a lot of things in my time with Troy and Ryan. On one occasion, we were talking about my former Facebook addiction. Not the kind where you want, like, as many likes as you can get, but that kind where that really unfiltered and argumentative part of you comes out toward everyone. It was to the point where people thought I was yelling at them because I would capitalize a few words. So I told Troy, I'm like, you're like a HEPA filter. You just pretty much filter out all the garbage before it's too late. And I'm like the cheap $2 filter from Walmart. And he just looks at me and says, more like a spaghetti strainer. But he's not wrong. I was almost not here today. Because I had to know where my heart was. And if that could be on display. Because trust me, you don't want that on display. There was an urgency to understand my heart in that moment. In our scripture for today, Jesus is urging his disciples that we all play a role in discipleship. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, What after all is Apollos? And what's Paul? They're only servants, through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God is the one that made it grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, for we are all God's fellow workers. 
I love this picture as I think about what's going on in the disciples' minds right now in our story. They have just exposed their blindness to the big picture that Jesus has seen. But then he says, I am sending you to reap a harvest among them. Someone else planted the seed, but they're being sent to harvest. What are the possibilities here? See, the Samaritans, they only followed the Pentateuch. Genesis through Deuteronomy. Maybe the word of God planted the seed. Maybe a, maybe a family story shared down generations. But who else just planted a seed? Who else made these people drop everything and start making their way back to Jesus? It was this very unsuspecting woman that the disciples completely overlooked. In fact, in verse 39 it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So far, the disciples haven't done anything for the Samaritans. They haven't sowed. They haven't watered. But the only thing they've done is held on to their despise for these people. And yet God is sending them out to bring them into the kingdom of God, to do the will of God so that everyone, the sower, the waterer, the harvester, the Jew, and the Samaritan may be glad together as a united kingdom. You remember our video with Ed trying to minimize the risk, trying not to disciple? If we are not engaged in our relationships, we cannot possibly disciple. But see, Ed too had a moment of compassion. And he allowed the Spirit to transform his heart. And you're going to be able to watch that in this second video. And then as that ends, there's going to be a couple of questions that, that come up, and we'll have the opportunity to turn and talk and discuss. Amen? We're talking about how I am used to be, and I'm comfortable with being myself, put that blocks, but also we need to talk about how Jesus is changing that, right? Mm -hmm. And how understanding what is my role and the role that I have on that, on the, on the road that Jesus Christ has put me, right? To say, here's my work, and this is what you need to be doing. What is, what is the, the word that we used to say was, now what? Now that I know, now what I am going to do about it and how I am going to change myself to be able to open the doors, to find those opportunities, to help others know Jesus and know the good news, right? Just like you did when I met you the first time and you said, go seek out there, go look, go read, right? You opened that door for me. That's what I feel like I need to do to others now, right? Because I know Jesus now. I didn't know Jesus before, so it was easy for me to put those obstacles. Now it's really hard for me to do it, right? So knowing Jesus is changing my way of looking for those opportunities to help others. You know what I would just do is, is start praying for your neighbors. You know your neighbors by name, mm -hmm. right? And I try and do that, Libby and I try and do that, my wife. But it can start simple where they're just on your mind because they're in your prayers. Mm -hmm. And you just make a list of people who live close to you and, and start praying for them and, and see what God will do. That's not the end of it, but things like that is, is kind of having eyes to see um, in your neighborhood in your classes, at school, in our vocations, um, on our sports teams, um, in our affinity groups, you know, all those different areas that God opens our eyes to say, oh, okay, th that person, um, Luke 9 and 10 talk about this concept of people of peace. Mm -hmm. And basically it's just people who are open to us and they're open to God. It's an easy way to define it. And it's just looking for, okay, who's, who's open to us and who's open to God? Because if something want, somebody wants nothing to do with God, it's almost not honoring them to try and push it on them, mm -hmm. right? But there will be people in our lives that we come across who are open to us and open to God. And then it's like he just kind of brings it into our lap. And it's not that you have to say, well, let's talk about religion. Let's talk about faith. It's, hey, tell me your story, mm -hmm. right? And especially if you're, you're doing hair or doing whatever, you've got a unique space where you can actually have people share with you their heart mm -hmm. about their faith and just listen well.
So that's another thing when it comes to opportunities. A lot, it's a lot more about asking questions and listening than necessarily, you know, saying here's what I want you to know or to do. Wise words were said to me months ago that that really changed my perspective on discipleship by Steve actually. That. Um, kind of changed my, my mindset on the approach to things and that was you know don't don't go at it and go at somebody like here I want to teach you all these things let me show you all this stuff more so you know hey why don't we learn this together let's you know I'm, I'm really interested in in this do you want to learn this with me you know do you want to go over this and find out more about it and that really you know changed lowered the anxiety levels you know changed the approach a lot and in reality, I just want to—I want to show people, lead them to the God that's shown me more love than I could ever deserve, you know. And and um, and I, yeah. There's 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 a lot of motivation comes from yeah. that. Yeah.
Good morning. My name is Martha. I'm a member of the prayer team. Would you stand and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this time that we have had to come together and hear a message from your word. Thank you so much for Joe and what he shared with us. God, we just lay our hearts before you, and we ask that you would fill us with your love and your compassion for the people around us. Lord, would you fill us so that we could pour that love into them. Put into our hearts and minds someone that you'd have us reach out to this week. Remind us each day to bring this prayer request before you. Lord, where is the opportunity that I'm not seeing? There are so many people hurting in our community. And their hope is you. And we can bring them that hope. Lord, fill us with your compassion, that compassion that moves us. We can't transform our own hearts. Only you can do that. But we bring ourselves before you, and we ask you to transform our hearts. Make us truly compassionate. Reveal to us how great your love is. What a wonderful gift it is we have that we can share with others. Change your focus to be on you and to be on those around us and not on ourselves. Make us willing to take that first step. Help us to pray. Help us to seek you. Help us to have honest talks with you about this. And Lord, we want to lift up Brad and Sarah, our global partners, who for 25 years have been carrying your good news to people in Central um, Asia. Lord, we pray your hand a blessing on them today. We pray that you'd send them encouragement this week, that they would hear your voice in a special way that lets them know that you are using them. Pray for all the relationships that they've established over these 25 years, Lord, that they continue and that uh, disciples would be raised up and would be strengthened for all the new relationships that they are forming, that you would be just so evident in their lives that those who listen to them would sense your peace and sense your love reaching out to them. God, we pray that disciples would be raised up from good soil, that as they plant seeds, that would land on good soil that brings forth a harvest, that each of these disciples who hear the good news of Jesus would then turn and take it to someone else. God, we thank you for how you've chosen to use us in your kingdom work how you've chosen that your message is to go out through us. Thank you for the power that you will bring to us in our words. Thank you that you will speak through us and that we can rely on you. Thank you for our, our time this morning, and thank you that you will go with us into this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Gracious Father, we thank you that we have been given a defense against the wrath that is due for our sins. And it's the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ, our King, that he has come, that he has come to clothe us, to robe us with his righteousness by giving his life up he died that we might live. Father, may we be reminded this morning of this great news. It's not just good news, although it is. It is the greatest news. What Christ has done on our behalf. And we are called to proclaim it with our lives, with our voices, with our thoughts and minds. Father, superintend our time now as we reflect and remember what your son, our king, has done for us. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. At this time, we're going to take a, a moment to share in the Lord's Supper together. And if you came in and you didn't take of the bread and the cup on the way in, um, there should be some tables where you can get it. I would ask you to do that at this time. The way that we do this here at Kettlebrook is that we are not as concerned about your church background as much as we are concerned about the one that you claim is king. If you believe that Jesus is king, if you believe that Jesus has given himself up for you, that his blood was shed and his body was broken for you so that you are in a right relationship with God because of Him and what He's done, not because of your good works, but because of Christ and His good work on the cross and in the tomb, then we would invite you to share with us. If that's not where you're at this morning, we ask you not to feel like you have to go through the motions because it's not something to go through the motions on. Then perhaps you're here this morning and, and this maybe is, I, I know there's probably some of you in the room that perhaps this might be the first time that you're actually doing this communally because just recently you have given your life to Christ. And we praise God for that. When I think about what, what Joe shared from that text in John chapter 4, we think about these words, opportunities for relationship and intentionality in relationship and urgency. I just can't help but think about our king who, you know what he did? He took an opportunity. You know what his opportunity was? He left his throne. He left his throne in heaven to come here and enter in to our sin and our brokenness and our mess. And then he came with amazing intentionality. It says a number of times that he had, his, he had resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. Not so that he could come in with loud hosannas because he knew he was going out. 
to be crucified. And then you want to talk about urgency. Here's urgency. Here's one who is completely outside of time. He said, before Abraham was, I am. You want to talk about urgency is the one who said, I'm going to enter into time for the sake of humanity, to draw them back to my Father. And so in this urgency, he sits down with his disciples. And they're celebrating a meal that had been celebrated for a really long time, the Passover meal. And he reinterprets it for them. So while they were eating, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. And so together we take of the bread we give thanks to you, Father. We break and we eat together. In the same way then he took the cup he gave thanks and he offered it to them saying drink from it all of you this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins I tell you I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom take and drink Says, and that says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so we do the same. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together, and then we're going to sing in response. Join with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
thank you so much for your wonderful grace. Thank you that we can be washed in your blood and freed, Father, freed from the weight of sin. God, we just pray that today you would just, your Holy Spirit would convict us to move, to move to see the others in our lives that you have placed there, to open our eyes, to open our ears, God, to take the step of faith to see them. Father, just give us your heart. That's what we pray today. That's what we sing this morning.
Family, I pray that we would be given God's heart, that we would seek opportunities to share his heart with other people, that we'd be intentional in loving people well, like Christ loved us, and that we'd be urgent about it. For we don't know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows. Family, may we go forth breaking through these barriers by the power of the Spirit for the sake of those who are called and created to bring glory to the Father. May we be in relationship with our King and one another. In Christ's name I pray. One of, the, one of the ways that I encourage you to uh, understand God's heart is to spend some time with him. We'd love to pray uh, for you if you're here today. We have our prayer team will be up front afterwards. Also on your way out, I believe Martha is by a table. And at that table, there are a number of resources that will allow you to uh, disconnect and retreat and hear from God. We'd love for you to look at those resources and take some time. Because if we don't pray, to pray we won't understand God's heart. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. I think that was it. That's it. Okay. All right. Have a, have a good week. God bless.